You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Good morning. Uh, Today's scripture is going to be from Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. And they brought the call to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut down from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Amen. All right, today is Palm Sunday, so we read that. Uh, If you've been following us, if you've been here at City Lights or listening on our podcast, um, we started this series on the promise, and we read that last week. And we're going to briefly look at that passage a little bit this morning, but um, let me tell you a story quick, if I can do that, before we get into the passage today. How many of you guys, when you were a kid, you had, like, your family pet, right? Like, that was really sad. Like, three people were like, I had no pets. <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? Okay, so a, a lot of us grew up with family pets. And I remember I had a dog named Shaggy. That was my dog. He was a cockapoo, which is cocker spaniel and poodle. So he's like, this big, white, little fluff ball, right? And that was my dog. And early on, when we first got Shaggy, it was probably, we probably had him for about a year or so. And uh, we, my dad had had inherited this other dog from some family member who was like a really big outside dog. I think his name was Joe, which is a, a weird name for a dog to me. Bless you, whoever that was. So, um, and uh, that dog was outside in a big dog box along the edge of the back of our house uh, with a big old outside. It was like the sandlot, like that kind of dog box, you know, like a big dog, right? And Shaggy was the indoor house dog. Shaggy was my dog and my sister's dog. And one day, I was probably six, somewhere around there, six or seven, um, we didn't feel like watching Shaggy anymore, my sister and I. We were supposed to, like, watch him. We were allowed to play outside. We had a big yard at that, at that time in my life. And we, weren't, we didn't want to watch him anymore. So what we did is we took Joe out of his box, the big, do- the big dog, took him out of his box, let him somewhere else. I don't even know what happened to him, honestly. Um, don't remember. wasn't mine. Didn't care. <laughs> so let him out. And we took Shaggy, and we put him in Joe's box. And then we put this big tire that was laying in our yard because my, gra- my grandfather at that time had, had a, um, a, a garage, a mechanic, that kind of thing. Furthest thing from me, I don't know anything about cars. I just know it was called a tire. So I took the tire, and me and my sister, we put the tire in front of the box door. So Shaggy was inside the box, couldn't get out. We didn't have to watch him anymore. That was like 9 a.m., right? Well, that night, we're in the house, and my dad's like, where's Shaggy? I'm like, what? Well, my mom goes outside and sees and hears this whimpering. Shaggy has dug a hole like this big in the bottom of that box, trying to figure out his way out. My dad, there was wrath. He was like, you said you could take care of a dog. You do this to your dog. It's, I don't think it was spring or fall, so it was probably summer. Not a good time to put a dog in a box outside. You could have killed your dog. You don't love your dog. We're going to take your dog to the SPCA and sell him. We're going to get rid of him because you are not a good dog keeper. My sister and I were in sackcloth and ashes type of mourning. Like we were, we were like grieving, wailing before the Lord. God have mercy on us. We're, I, my, my grandparents came over to visit that night. And my sister and I are in our room, in my room 
with this little camera that we had stole out of mom's bedroom, and we're taking selfies before selfies were cool with a, like an old school film camera of us and the dog, tears in her eyes. It's still at my parents' house somewhere. These tears in her eyes, and we're like grieving, taking our final pictures with our dog, and we're like wailing, right? My grandma comes in, into the bedroom, and she says, Jesse, why are you crying? I said, because dad's going to get rid of the dog. Shaggy's gone. Like, I'm just completely grieving. And my grandmother says, Jesse, you know your dad. Your dad loves you. Do you think he's going to take this from you? Do you think he'll take I'm like, yes, he will. She's like, she's like, Jesse, just pull it together. Your dad is going to forgive you, and you'll get to keep Shaggy. Well, the next morning... I don't know if I slept that night. It was, it was a very hard night for me in my life. Traumatic. Saw many therapists. I'm kidding. I didn't see any therapists. But it was a traumatic night in my life. The next morning we get up. My dad comes in the room. He's like, are you going to take care of that dog? Yes, we will do it. And you can guess, we kept Shaggy. Uh, we had him from that time until I was in college when he got old and died. Um, and we grieved, and it was a big process. But anyway, there are some of you, when I tell that story... Some of you, probably just Martin, would be like, the dad should have taken the dog. <laughs> like, you deserved punishment, right? I'm kidding, Martin. <laughs> kidding. But some of you instantly think like, yeah, that was a horrible thing to do to, do to a dog. You animal rights people are like, yes, you, we, he should, your dad should have put you in the box and let you live there for a day. Some of you have thought that. Probably not many of you, because all of us in here are Americans, Right? And we're all thinking, yeah, love, mercy, justice, right? Justice and love and forgiveness is the same thing. So, yeah, your dad should let you have the dog. And he should, he, wrong, wrong, bad, shame on your dad for even making you cry, right? Some of you guys felt that. Real deep sympathy. And the truth is that justice and mercy are both good. And both of them are a reflection of the Father's heart, Right? Justice, there are times in our lives where we are crying out for justice. We are begging God to give justice. And when God doesn't do it, we try to do it. We try to bring justice. And then there are other moments in our lives where all we desire is mercy. Because the thought of justice for the thing that we know we did wrong is just too much to carry. It's too sad, right? And We started this series looking at the promises of God, and every one of the promises that we've talked about so far have led up to this moment, to this discussion, to this moment in history where God says, I'm going to do something to handle my justice and handle my mercy and my love and compassion and forgiveness at the same time. When the first covenant that we looked at, these unconditional promises, God said to Noah, no longer will I pour out my wrath on you by destroying the earth, but I will consume my wrath. There will be one that one day will consume the wrath of God against wickedness. And then we see the next thing to Abraham as he says there one day there will be an offspring one day there will be one who comes that all the nations Jew and Gentile will be eternally blessed through me through that one promise through that one line one day he will come and then we also saw through David that one day there will be this king that I established through that same line from Abraham through the line of David on that one day will come one who handles all of my kingdom, who is eternally on the throne, who eternally reigns. And that brings us to today, where we have to look at this one problem that's still left, is how do we handle justice and how do we handle mercy? 
How do we handle the wrath of God and how do we handle his goodness? And that same one day, that same promise keeper, that same one that fulfills all those other promises, today as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we look at how God, through Christ, has satisfied both aspects of himself. Both the things that we really need of a good God. We need justice and we need mercy. They've been satisfied through Christ. Jude read for us Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, where we see Jesus in his final week here on the earth before the cross. He comes into Jerusalem, and he's riding on a donkey, and he comes into the city, and they see him, and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, son of David, it's your kingdom. That's what they're crying out. And I briefly spoke out last week, when they did that, when they saw Jesus, they weren't worshiping his, him as God. They were worshiping him as the one who was promised about from the line of David who would eternally sit on the throne. They saw that for a second. But they thought in political terms. When they wave palm branches, like I said last week, it's not some like, hey, it's hot outside. Let's cool you down because you're king and we're like in Egypt and you're the pharaoh and we just wave you down like that beautiful picture we all have in our minds. That's not what it's saying. This is a moment of political rebellion. The palm branch to them represented the Maccabeans who were the last one to have rule over Israel outside of any other foreign body. The last time Israel was free, they had on their coin the symbol of a palm branch. It was a status of saying, get rid of Rome. So when they see Jesus, they say, you're the Messiah. Hosanna, deliver us from Rome. We're rebelling now. And you're our king. You're the one who's going to deliver us. And they didn't understand the kingdom that he brought. We talked about this last week. So here comes this triumphal entry into the kingdom, or into Jerusalem. But they thought at that moment that they were sending him to the throne, right? They thought that they were doing something to put Jesus on the throne politically. He knew, though, that they weren't sending him to the throne. They were sending him to the cross. The place that would give way more than temporary political life, temporary solutions to today's problems. He was doing something that was eternal, that went beyond that momentary fix. This morning, as we look at this issue, uh, uh, this promise, we're talking about a new covenant today. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Jesus comes in, and his last week on earth, we see, we see him have his final meal with his disciples at the Last Supper, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see him go to the cross. But before we talk about those things, I want to mention that throughout Scripture, we see two cups that are represented. Over and over again in, in Scripture, there's these ideas of two different cups, two different drinks that are shared with people. And the first one I want to talk about is the cup of marriage. When in that day, if you were a Jewish boy and you wanted to get married, you would go to your father, and you would decide, okay, who is a girl worthy of us marrying? And so the father and the son would go to this girl and her father, and the four of them alone would sit down. And the father then, after they had arranged some kind of price, what's, what's the cost of your house? What's the cost of, of, of me taking your daughter for my son? What is the cost? What's it worth? And usually... To, compared to today, today's standards, it would be like basically buying a house. This is a, a big investment. 
This isn't like some kind of small, like little, like I'll invest a little bit here. This is like saying I'm giving my life. Like I'm completely investing into this girl, into her being part of my family. I'm giving her my life. Make sense? So when they would arrange some kind of bridal price, the father would pour out a glass of wine to his son. He would give this glass of wine to her, to the son, and the son would take it to the, to the woman, and he would say, I give this to you. And what he was saying is, all that I am, all of my heart, everything that I have, my entire life, I am giving all my wealth, all my possession to you. And she at that moment would have a choice. She could deny it and say, I don't want your family. I don't want your life. I don't want what you have to offer. Or she could take it and she could drink it and she would say, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. She would take what is his and give herself to him. Make sense? So that's the one cup that we would see in Jewish culture. This cup of marriage, this cup of like him giving everything. And so what would happen if she drank from that cup, then he would go and he would go back to his father's house. He would travel wherever it was, go back to his father's estate, and he would prepare a place for her. He would build onto his father's land or his father's house a new room, a large room for their new family to start. Make sense? And the next time that he would drink from wine or from sharing a glass of wine with her was at their wedding feast. That would be his last drinking of wine, right? So you guys, you see, see what's happening here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus in the Last Supper. And let me, let, me, let me give you a little bit of background before we read Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. They were, this is the week of Passover. One thing that I forgot to mention is, not only is this triumphal entry significant because it was, they were looking for a political thing, but this was the same day that Jewish families would come into the city. It was crowded. It was packed. This is the same day of that holy week, that week of Passover, that the families would celebrate and go together and pick their sacrificial lamb. They would pick that lamb that would be their family's sacrifice to, make, to, to remove their family's sin, to celebrate in Passover. So that same day that the sacrificial lamb is picked, Jesus shows up and the crowd begins to cry out, you're our Messiah. We pick you. You're our deliverer. So this is Passover week, and Jesus, with his disciples, is celebrating Passover with a Passover meal. It's very traditional. If you've ever been a part of it, it's a long, lengthy meal, and it's not a, lot of real, it's not a whole lot of eating, actually. It's a lot of talking and drinking and bread and some other things. And in the Passover meal, there was four cups of wine. And the third cup of wine was typically toward the last, the end of, of Passover. And so it's at this part that they would take this cup, and it was cup, called the cup of salvation. They would take the cup of salvation, and there was a prayer over it, that they would, they would take it, they would drink it, and they would say, Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. That's what they would say. And so it's at this part in the story, in the, the Passover meal, that Jesus says this with his disciples in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, 
So when he had said, blessed are you, O Lord, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, after he had said that, he said, drink of it. He took the cup and he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, at that moment, he puts a pause on tradition. He puts a pause on what they would normally do for Passover. And he says, I want to marry you. I want to give all that I have for you. My disciples, will you drink this? Will you give all that you have for me? Will you drink the cup of the new covenant? He says, this is my blood that's poured out for you. I will pour out my blood for you. And it's a new covenant. It's a new promise of marriage that I'm offering you. Are you going to drink it with me? This is not some just drinking of a, another old glass of wine. This is this, the, the disciples. Imagine yourself as a disciple. And you're going through the religious practice of your normal day or of your normal Passover meal that you've done for years. And all of a sudden, your rabbi basically asks you to marry him. This is, this is a new moment for you. This is something very different. So Jesus offers them this cup of marriage. And then he goes from there after the Last Supper, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Gethsemane means oil press, olive press, the place of pressing, the place where olive is squished and, and oil is produced. And he's there, and he's, he says, would you pray for me? I'm going to pray. Stay awake for me. And he's there, and we see him crying out in agony, drops of blood. His body is literally crying tears of blood. He's in so much agony. And he says this. He says, if it is possible that this cup should pass from me, but not my will, but your will. See, this is a different cup. He's not, Jesus in this moment, don't make any mistakes. Jesus is not afraid of, of physical pain. He's not afraid of death in this moment. He's afraid of the cup of wrath that God is putting in front of him to drink. He says, is it possible that I don't absorb your wrath? All of his life, he's never sinned. He's never felt separation from God. He's never felt any kind of awareness from the Holy Spirit, from God in him. He's always been at perfect union with the Father, right? And in this moment, he realizes all of the wrath of God is going to be poured on me in the cross. Is it possible that I don't absorb your wrath and don't feel you forsaking me? Because I don't know if I can handle that. Jesus was not, it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was martyr after martyr after martyr that were singing at the stake, singing as their skin got peeled off of them, singing as they were crucified, lifting up praises. Stephen, we see in Acts, it looks at Christ as he's being stoned and sees him, declares him. And you're, you're thinking that Jesus here is afraid of some physical pain. Absolutely not. He's realizing that all of the Old Testament and even parts of the New later on talk about this imagery of the cup of God. We see it in Job, we see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Psalms, we see it in Jeremiah, and we'll see it in Revelations that when we see this imagery of the cup outside of the marriage celebration, it's always about the wrath of God being poured on evil, on sin and broken. And Jesus says, is it possible to not absorb your wrath but I'll do whatever you desire me. Jesus takes this cup of wrath. He pours out his blood. 
He consumes the cup of God's wrath so that he can offer us the cup of marriage. There's two cups that we're offered this morning. So Jesus goes to the cross. Here on this Friday. And we see him. He's, he's whipped. There's a crown of thorns. He's hung on the cross. And it says at the ninth hour, which is 3, 3 p.m. At 3 p.m. in Jewish customs, or, or just in history, probably back the whole way to Abraham, at 3 p.m. every day, the, the sacrificial lamb would be slaughtered. And the priest would go to the top of the pinnacle of that temple that they had. And he would blow the shofar. And that shofar sound, would, that trumpet, that, that horn would blow. And everybody in hearing range would know that the sacrificial lamb has been killed and their sins are forgiven. That's what they would hear. And it's at that same hour, in the same hearing range, that that sacrifice would have been made. And that trumpet would have sounded and it's at that same hour that jesus hears this sound and he says he thirsts they offer him vile vile vinegar it's not what you think they're not doing anything that's a whole nother story they insult him and then he says it is finished and says he bows his head and he gives up his spirit and dies that same hour that the sacrificial lamb was slaughtered every day Jesus is slaughtered and gives up his spirit for us that same hour. That ninth hour, he says, it's finished. See, that cup cost him everything so that true life, so that you and I could have true life, that he could offer the cup of marriage. He says, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving this to you. See, Christianity, if we can sum it all up into any kind of small little thought, it's simply that God absorbed his own wrath in Christ himself, the perfect spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He absorbed it himself so that he could give us eternal life, that he could call us his pure and spotless bride. And we could just simply drink that cup. His new covenant is an eternal promise that we have eternal forgiveness if we just receive his sacrifice. It's simple. It's really simple. Jesus died so I can live. I have to receive it. It's just, it really is. We were talking about the song. There's a song called The Simple Gospel. It is a simple gospel. And the rest of the world doesn't understand because it makes no sense. How could a good God not punish bad people? How could a, You're saying that all I have to do to be eternally forgiven is to simply say, yes, I receive it, and call him my Lord? That's it? Some of you say how. Some of you say why. How can God give me something completely free for all of eternity? Don't I have to earn it? Isn't there more? Isn't there a better way? Isn't there some way for me to to deserve it? Isn't there a better way than grace? This is the covenant of God's grace. I was reading this week, I did something kind of weird. Can I, can I share my weirdness with you? Please don't think of anything of me. You, you already know how weird I am. It's okay. So I bought this book. It's Spurgeon, right? Charles Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. I've nearly never read him before. And uh, this week I picked up this book and I'm like, I did something weird. 
I was in the office, and I'm like, I'm going to read some Spurgeon just to see what it says. And then I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, don't just read it in your office to yourself. Come out here, stand in the pulpit, and read it out loud like you're preaching to yourself. I'm like, what if somebody walks in on me? This is weird. <laughs> so I literally was standing here, I think on Tuesday, reading this out loud to nobody except myself. And uh, I felt this morning that I should share this part with you before. Because he's, he's asking that same question. How can it be so simple? How can the gospel be so easy? He says this. He, first he reads this verse in Isaiah It says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. That's Isaiah. So here he asks this question. We say again, how can this humble, how, how this humbles a man? This verse, it humbles a man. There's a gentleman who says, well, if it had been a thousand pounds, that would have saved me. I would have thought nothing of it. See, but your gold and your silver is cankered. It is nothing good. It's good for nothing then am I able to be saved just like my servant Betty? Yes, just the same. There is no other way of salvation for you. That is to show man that Jehovah is God and that besides him there is none else. The wise man said, if I had been to work on the most wonderful problem or to solve the greatest mysteries, I would have done it. May I not have some mysterious gospel? May I not believe in some mysterious religion? No, it is look. What, am I to be saved just like the ragged schoolboy who can't even read his letters? Yes, you must, or you will not be saved at all. Another says, I have been very moral and upright. I have observed all the laws of the land. And if there is anything else to do, I will do it. I will eat only fish on Fridays and keep all the fasts of the church if that will save me. But no, sir, that will not save you. Your good works are good for nothing. What, must I be saved in the same way as the harlot or the drunkard? Yes, sir, there is only one way of salvation for all. He hath concluded all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. He hath passed a sentence of condemnation on all that the free grace of God might come upon many to salvation. Look, look, look. It's a simple method of salvation. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. You and I, are saved the same way that the worst person on earth is, the poorest person on earth is, the richest person on earth is. All we do is simply look at Christ and receive him. We look at him. He is our salvation. He is our grace. He is our justice. He has absorbed our wrath. He is our God. He is our Lord. And everything else is worthless. I can't get salvation any other way. There is no other way than to simply receive and drink the cup that he's already poured out for us. It's that easy. It really is. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9 reminds us, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For this is not your own doing. It is a gift to God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast. See, this morning, we've looked at all these covenants of God, and ultimately they've always been pointing to this one moment this one covenant 
where Christ gives us, he offers us this covenant of his blood, this covenant of grace. And he simply says, be mine. Get rid of all of you and just be mine. Get rid of yourself and pursue me. The covenant of his grace has been poured out for us, and the only thing we have to do is receive him as Lord and Savior. He is no longer on the cross. He sits on the throne forever and ever. There's a song that I grew up with, and today I was reminded of it. As we look to this covenant of grace, there was one place that it was poured out. There was one place that the, the father poured out the wine to his son and the son poured it out to his bride. That on the cross, the father poured out the blood of the son and the son's blood poured out for us and he offered it to us. There's a song. There's a song that I sang growing up called The Old Rugged Cross. And I'll try to read the words. I won't sing it because I'm a mess. (laughs) It's a mess. And this morning, as we look at this cup, we have to see it in the cross of Christ. It says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In the old rugged cross, stained with the blood so divine, a wonderful beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true, its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. This morning we are going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take communion together. Um, We're going to worship. But there's three different stations where you can just go and, and grab some communion two. There's two stations, I'm being informed. Two stations where you can grab some communion, and you can take it on your own time. I'm not going to lead you through it like we usually do. Um, But this morning, I want us to realize that there's a new covenant, the ultimate promise, the ultimate forever answer that we can trust, that we know is eternally true. That new covenant of grace has been poured out for you. His cup of wine is offered to us. His body is poured out for us. And all we have to do is drink it. I'm not talking physically. Like if you simply drink this cup, you're, it's a spiritual drinking. You have to simply say, I make you my Lord and I receive all that you are and I give you all of me. You're my Lord. You're my hope. You're my treasure. I trust you. You're my husband. I give all of myself to you. This morning, let me encourage you. Today is your day of decision. Today is that day to make this covenant real. Some of us may have made that covenant a long time ago, but we have not looked and clung to the cross. We haven't realized that 
that he is everything and we're still holding on to these things of us whether it's sin whether it's brokenness whether it's personal ambition we have forgotten that we made a covenant to call him our lord our master our savior and we've made ourselves savior in a lot of areas so for you i would really encourage you this morning as we take communion to recognize that he has poured out his blood it's a simple gift and we receive it and we declare him king we declare him our savior For those of you who have never made that decision, let me encourage you, today is the day to make that decision. Either you drink and declare him Lord and Savior, or by refusing to drink today, you reject him as Lord and Savior. There is no middle ground, and we're not guaranteed this time of waiting and decision making. God has spoken, God says that we don't know what our lives look like. We don't know when he's gonna return. He can return at any moment. And you're either in the covenant or you're not in the covenant. And so I encourage you today, grab the cup, make it in your heart, drink the covenant because he's drank your wrath for you. That's good news, right? I know today might feel a little more serious than usual, but but Palm Sunday isn't about making some arts and crafts down the kids club and waving branches around and doing our religious thing and hoping next week we get some Easter candy. He's poured out that blood for, for us. This is his proposal to you. He is proposing to you today. And are you going to take it? We, are, we were once clothed in our sin, and he's given us a new garment of righteousness. Today, we're going to have some personal time of worship. I encourage you, in just one minute, we're going to stand, we're going to worship, and at your own time, grab from one of the stations in the back or up here at the front. But please, please, if you have not made him Lord and Savior, if you have not placed your faith in him, this meal is not for you. This is a covenantal meal, right? You ever go to a wedding where people who weren't invited to be a part of the wedding showed up and started eating your food? That's annoying, right? This is way more serious than that. We see in 1 Corinthians that those who drink of this unworthily, meaning they didn't place their trust in God, there's damnation on them. It's sin and sickness on them. Don't drink or eat if you're not in in the covenant. When you drink this, you're saying, I'm married to you. There is no one else, and I love I love you. Make sense? Let's stand, let's worship. For those of us who have placed our faith in him, this, this is a time of celebration. This is a marital meal. This is this is a great day. My marriage, my my wedding day was awesome. It was a time of celebration. My family rejoiced. I definitely rejoiced. I know my wife rejoiced. It was a good time. And that's what this meal should be. It's serious and yet celebratory. It's justice, the justice of God consumed and the mercy of God unleashed. Both of those things are eternally satisfied in Christ on the cross. Let's pray and let's worship. Jesus, we look to you right now. We cling to that old rugged cross. We cling to your grace. We look to you. We say, besides you, there is none other. Only you are God. Only you are Savior. And God, we ask that all the nations of the earth be saved through you. God, help our hearts to recognize you as King and Lord and our husband. God, we are thankful that we get to take this and proclaim your death until you return for your bride. We are thankful that you will return for your bride. God, be worshipped in this moment, we pray.